Welcome to the Weekly Discourse. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Bryce Bigham. I'm the Director of Media and Communications at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We have a special guest on the show today, but before we get to that, uh, we're on the Man of God Network, which is a podcasting ministry of CBTS. The Man of God Network exists to help the church in her mission to identify and equip qualified, faithful men for the gospel ministry. It's our goal to provide you with resources that both encourage you and edify you as you seek to build Christ Church where you are, to the end that He is better known, loved, and exalted. If you haven't already, you should really consider checking out some of the other shows on the network. Uh, Confessing the Faith, Dr. Sam Waldron presents a theological and devotional walk through the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. And we also have Pastor Ron Miller, a student and collector of Particular Baptist History, presenting stories from Reformed Baptist History in the show Particular Pilgrims. Uh, This show is reaching back in our Reformed Baptist heritage and is full of very helpful application for all of us. So check out the Man of God Network on your favorite podcast app and subscribe. We're always thankful for those of you who are listening and sharing the shows. Uh, If you have enjoyed our content, please consider leaving us a good review on iTunes or the podcast app that you use so that others can benefit from these podcasts as well. All this is brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary providing affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. You can complete a seminary education while staying in your church. So, pastors, if you have gifted man in your congregation and would like him to receive a theological education while remaining in your church, consider CBTS. In addition to being accessible and confessional, we also believe theological education should be affordable. Seminary students should not have to take out tens of thousands of dollars in student loans to train for the ministry. CBTS students pay a base of $75 per credit hour and a $350 per semester fee. So for more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org. And don't forget about our upcoming modular course offering on the life and ministry of Benjamin Keach here in Owensboro, Kentucky. God willing, this will be held on September 4th through the 7th, and it's going to be taught by Dr. Tom Hicks, pastor of First Baptist Church of Clinton, Louisiana, and Dr. Chris Holmes, pastor of Yellow Creek Baptist Church here in Owensboro, Kentucky. Uh, If you are interested in taking this course, it's going to be offered in a live stream format, and you don't have to be a student at CBTS to participate. You can audit the course via live stream or in person. So to learn more about registration and fees, you can visit cbtseminary.org slash keach2020. And we announced last week that we will have a special guest with us at the module. Uh, Again, we're going to be joined by uh, the Covenant Podcast for a live recording. Uh, The Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. It's hosted by Austin McCormick, who's pastor of Shepherd Baptist Church in Dixon, Missouri, and Jimmy Johnson, pastor of Vista Baptist Church in Osceola, Missouri. We're really excited to have these brothers with us uh, for the module, and they're going to be interviewing uh, Dr. Chris Holmes and Tom Hicks on the subject of Benjamin Keach live on Friday night, September 4th at 7 p.m. I'm hoping to bring that to you live uh, through Facebook channel. 
Uh, if you haven't given them, given them a listen at the Covenant Podcast, uh, go go check them out on your favorite podcast app. They're, they're putting out some great content and really helpful interviews that should be edifying to you. Well, normally on the weekly discourse, we feature a portion of a lecture delivered in the context of a class at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. However, I do reserve the right to hold an occasional interview on a pertinent topic, and we have uh, such a topic this week. It might be that one of the last things you have given thought to with the distractions of the past six months is the subject of evangelism and open-air preaching. To many of us, it seems like it will be getting more and more difficult with the added complications of social distancing and what seems to be a significant increase of open hostility from our culture. Well, today I'm happy to introduce you to Pastor Josh Williamson uh, to discuss this topic. Josh is an Australian pastor evangelist who is passionate about equipping the church to give answers to the questions the world is asking and reaching out to the lost. Since receiving Christ in 2002, Josh has had a drive to make Jesus Christ known to as many people as would listen. Over the years, the Lord has opened many doors for ministry, including preaching opportunities in several countries and pastoring in both Australia and the UK. Josh holds a post postgraduate diploma in theology from Malian College in Queensland and has also completed studies through the London Reformed Baptist Seminary. And he's currently enrolled at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. Josh resides in Newquay, Cornwall, with his wife, Louise, and their three children, Thomas, Elizabeth, and Henry, and he serves as the pastor at Newquay Baptist Church. So welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks for having me, mate. Well, um, could you tell us a little bit about your present ministry in Newquay and what the situation is there? Well, as the accent gives it away, I'm not originally from Cornwall. I'm not from England at all. I'm an Aussie who is been sent out by my home church in Australia from Sanford Baptist Church, which is a Reformed Baptist congregation, to come to Newquay to serve as a church revitalizer, missionary slash pastor, uh, basically anything and everything to get a local congregation going again. Uh, Newquay Baptist Church has a very strong history here in the community. We have been here since at least 1820. There is some debate and discussion over how long we've been here. It just seems to uh, that the Baptists appeared in 1820, but there is suspicions they may have been hiding in the area beforehand. So since 1820, the gospel's been proclaimed from the Baptist church here. But in recent years, the chapel has fallen on hard times with declining attendance. And uh, that's why I was brought in. I was brought in to help revitalize the work, help change the structure of the church in the sense of we want to see it grow, we want to see people come into the church again, help uh, push with a new emphasis into evangelism and gospel ministry. So my work could be summed up as pastor slash missionary, caring for the flock that we have and trying to gather a new flock into the chapel to worship our triune God. Hmm. What is Nuki like? It is a coastal town. It is a tourism hub for the United Kingdom. So for most of the year, Newquay is quite small, uh, a typical Cornish town, around 25,000 people uh, living here. So for probably nine months of the year, it's very local, very quiet. Uh, there's different political beliefs as most communities have. We have a very strong uh, left-leaning culture and understanding in Newquay. And that's often reflected in their spiritual views as well. There is a lot of alternative spirituality shown in the community. Mm. Uh, we also are the hub and the heart for the pride celebrations for Cornwall. So that gives you a taste of what Newquay is like. 
Now, for nine months of the year, small, hard ground, very alternative culture, but the gospel is taking root in that. But then for three months of the year, when summer arrives, and as an Australian, I must admit, I struggle to call the British weather summer, but by God's grace, I'm learning to do that. Uh, for three months of the year, Newquay explodes in size. There are literally tens upon tens of thousands of people that descend on this community for weeks of holiday. So, for instance, where I live, we live right next door to a holiday park, which at its peak can have 5,000 people camping there. Mm. That's 5,000 tourists just in that one holiday park, and there are many others in the community. So, for that three months of the year, New Key is overflowing with people from all over the United Kingdom. So, in that sense, New Key is a very strategic town. The United Kingdom as a whole is a nation that desperately needs missionaries, that desperately needs gospel preaching once again. Yet from Newquay, we have the opportunity to impact the entirety of the UK as they come to us for their holidays. So it's a strategic location for us to establish a strong gospel witness. And that's our desire. We want to see this community reach for the gospel. We want to see the gospel take root and flourish. But we also want to be a missionary outpost in that people come to our community, they hear the good news of salvation, they then go back to where they live and join local churches. So that's our focus. Reach the lost that live here and reach the lost throughout the United Kingdom who come here for holidays. Hmm. Well, could you tell us um, about how you got involved in evangelism and street preaching? Well, after I was converted, I had a real strong desire to tell the lost about the gospel. Uh, it was just this, Jesus has rescued me, and it was incredible. Uh, I wasn't looking for him. He was looking for me. I was in complete and total rebellion to Christ. My sin said I deserved wrath and judgment, but Jesus loved me with an everlasting love. He, he reached down. He rescued me. He, he, he brought me to the understanding that he died for me and he rose again. He, he granted me repentance and faith. And when I saw just how deep my sin was, mm. and then I saw the, the, the massive nature of Christ's love, I, I just want to tell people. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't know how to do that. That was a big challenge. How do you share the gospel? Here I am saved. I'm a new Christian. I want to witness. What do I do? So I started off just by inviting people to church. Hey, come along to the church and the pastor can deal with the gospel preaching. And that's what I did. And over time, I started to read books on evangelism. I started to uh, listen to sermons on evangelism. And as I found those books and those sermons, I began, began to get more equipped for the work of the ministry. And even though I actually, I remember sitting down saying, I don't ever want to be in evangelistic ministry. That seems to be the way the Lord constantly took me. Uh, when I entered Bible college, uh, or as you may call it, a seminary, we, I decided that what I would do is pursue pastoral ministry. And I thought, you know, it'd be nice to have a nice little country pastor at somewhere, somewhere you could settle down and enjoy. But I don't want to be an evangelist. I don't want to do evangelistic mm. work. Well, God had other plans. So God kept pushing me that way. The excitement, the burden for the lost, uh, the excitement I had to to be able to tell people of Jesus and speak to people who've never heard of Christ and explain to them of God's great love for sinful humanity. When I was about 18, uh, I had the privilege of preaching at the Bible college I was attending. They let me, for my birthday, preach in their chapel service. Now, when I was 18 and beginning to preach, the idea of preaching on my birthday sounded like a wonderful gift. Now, to have my birthday off from preaching would be a wonderful gift. But at the time, I decided to preach for my 18th birthday, and I preached on the subject of evangelism. 
Now, this was one of the first chapels for the new uh, academic year. And after the service, a new student came up to me. Now, at this stage, I was a second-year student. And a new student, a first-year student, came up to me and said, I'd like to talk to you about evangelism. I want to tell you how to do it properly. Now, second-year students don't like first-year students telling you how to do something properly. I mean, I've got a year of theology under my belt, mate. What are you talking about? But he turned to me and said, look, I want to give you a CD, which has revolutionized how I witness. Well, he, he caught my attention. He said, have you heard of a man called Ray Comfort? I said, no, nope, never heard of Ray Comfort. And he says, well, he's a New Zealander, so don't hold that against him. And I said, no, nope, never heard of him, but he's a New Zealander. I, I don't know how good he is. Well, he, he gave me a CD of Hell's Best Kept Secret. And I went home and I listened to that CD and I was completely blown away. Here was this little New Zealand evangelist explaining simply how to share the gospel. Now, I was all about evangelism. I wanted to see the lost come to know Jesus, but I didn't know what to say or how to do it. Yet Ray comes along and says, let me give you a simple method. Let me give you a simple outline. Now go and proclaim the gospel. So that's what I did. I started to go out witnessing one-to-one. I started to just share the gospel in my day-to-day life using what Ray's method, law to the proud, grace to the humble. And I quickly began to see that people understood the gospel. Uh, Grace became amazing when I started to talk about the depth of sin and human depravity. So I was witnessing that way. And eventually I had this bright idea that I would go open air preaching. I'd seen Ray do it online. I thought I could have a go at that. So I gathered a few friends from the college. On one Saturday night, (laughs) we headed up to the Queen Street Mall in the heart of Brisbane. And we got a permit And we said, right, we're going to open air preach. But when we got there, we realized that none of us had actually done it before. So here we were in the middle of the city on a Saturday night going, what do we do? Well, all the students turned to me and said, Josh, this is your idea. Off you go. (laughs) So I thought, well, pride kicks in at that point. So I stood up and I began to preach. And the police officers were standing there because they monitor that busy area and they watched me. And I lasted about 30 seconds about 30 seconds of preaching and I got ripped to shreds by a bunch of goths. They verbally ripped me down. They had questions and arguments I'd never heard before. And after about 30 seconds, I stood down. I thought, I'm never doing that again. I'm never going to preach the gospel in the open air. Well, one of the policemen came across and he said, brother, I'm a Christian. I go to a brethren assembly. Let me just encourage you, you know, keep, keep going. And that wasn't going to work for me. So at that point, I said, I can witness one-to-one. I'm clearly not called to open-air preaching. I'm clearly not called to be an evangelist. I must be a pastor. I'll go back down that pastoral country route. So I went out witnessing regularly, sharing the gospel one-to-one, and eventually I met some other Christians in Brisbane. And these Christians said, uh, on a lunchtime, on a Thursday, we're going to have an open-air meeting in King George Square, which is the big square in the heart of Brisbane City. And I said, Josh, would you like to come along? I said, great, I'm happy to come along and help. Anything to you know, assist you in gospel ministry. And what they said is, we're going to actually hold a fake funeral. So could everyone dress up in white shirts and ties like your pallbearers? And we're going to have someone lie on the ground. We're going to cover them in a sheet. So people walking past go, well, death is a real thing. Mm. And I thought, why not? We'll give it a go. Well, I showed up on the Thursday and there are all the guys in their white shirts and ties. And there was the man who was going to be the body for the day. He, he had the easiest job. And I got there and the the guy who was organizing it said, all right, Josh, what are you going to preach from? I said, I'm I'm sorry. He goes, well, we've never open-air preached before, but you have. I said, I don't think 30 seconds counts as open-air preaching. (laughs) Um, But 
I also had the most experience at 30 seconds. So I was terrified. I pulled out my notepad and pen and I, and I wrote down point by point what I was going to say. And it, it fitted perfectly in my palm of my hand. And I stood up. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I want to talk to you about death. And I just read my sermon note word for word. But that was the beginning. And I caught the bug at that point. People gathered to listen. People took gospel material afterwards. And I thought, this is wonderful. Here are the, all these people who will never darken the doors of a church listening to the gospel in their lunch hour. Mm. How else are we going to reach them? We need to take the gospel to them. And I was so excited. The problem was that sermon I preached became the same sermon I preached in the open air every time I stood up to preach for the next six weeks. But then I lost it one night. And everyone said, Josh, you've got to preach. So I had to learn to preach just from memory. I had to learn to preach. I was praying constantly, Lord, I don't know what to say. Mm. But the Lord blessed the work. And you know, through, the, mm. through the years, I've had to study and learn and grow. I've heard a lot of questions I didn't know answers to. Uh, I've been, been in situations I never thought I would be in. But through it all, I've seen God's faithfulness. I've seen his love and mercy and reaching down and saving sinners. And I started open-air evangelism in one-to-one evangelizing 17 years ago. I've been open-air preaching now for 16 years, and I am probably Mm. just as excited and passionate about evangelism now as I was back then, probably more so, Mm. because I want to see the gospel spread. But over the years, it it changed. I didn't just be an open-air preacher. I developed the different aspects of evangelism. I think just like we go fishing, we've got to have different baits, different hooks, different techniques. So when it comes to evangelism, we've got to have different techniques, different baits, different hooks, different methods of outreach. And open-air preaching is just one of them. Mm-hmm. Some, some might make the case, open-air preaching doesn't seem very reformed to me. What would you say to people who would make that case that maybe we shouldn't do this in the 21st century? I think anyone who says that probably has a fundamental misunderstanding of reformed theology. And I say that as with the nicest way I can. As Reformed believers, we are people of the book. The scripture must be our guide. We, we govern how we worship in our churches via the scripture. Doesn't it stand to reason that we govern how we evangelize by the scripture also? If we look at the scripture, we see example after example of the gospel being proclaimed in the open air. We see Jesus preaching on a mountain. We see preaching in fields. We see in Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul going into the marketplace, not just to preach, but to dispute with people. So he went and had apologetic arguments in the open air as well. And we see this pattern throughout the scripture. But not only do we see it in the scripture, we see it throughout church history. And we see a strong reformed tradition of open air preaching. Uh, We see that with the reformers, William Farrell, the great reformer who worked with Calvin in Geneva. He was a fiery open-air preacher. He'd probably be deemed unloving by today's standards. But we we see people like George Whitfield, who was the the trumpet of the Great Awakening, reformed in his theology, proclaiming Christ and seeing thousands come into the kingdom. We have C.H. Spurgeon. Now, as Reformed Baptists, that means we've asked Charles Spurgeon into our hearts, so we should really love what Mr. Spurgeon says. Mr. Spurgeon preached on open-air preaching. Mm. In his lectures to my student, he has multiple lectures on it saying, Mm. go and preach the gospel in the open air. So we have this strong reform tradition of doing it. We have a biblical example of doing it. 
So if we're going to let the Bible govern how we do every aspect of our life, then we have to make the case that the Bible speaks more about open-air evangelism than having evangelistic Sunday schools or having evangelistic meetings at the church even, or even having church meetings inside. So we we have to deal with that. Mm. That being said, how does it fit with the 21st century? Well, it's a challenge. But I think it's a fundamental error to assume that our culture, our day, is the first culture that is opposed to open-air preaching. If you read the history Mm -hmm. of open-air evangelism, it's been opposed in every culture. Look what happened when Paul preached in the open air. The crowds were furious when Whitfield preached. What happened? The crowds wanted him dead. Though not reformed, John Wesley spoke about how he had many people threaten him. People pulled firearms on him. Whitfield said he had a piece of dead cat thrown at him. I haven't had that yet, but it wasn't liked. We, we often have this rose-tinted idea, this rose-coloured glass idea of what it was like in history that, you know, Whitfield stood up and the crowd said, oh, isn't this a wonderful way to preach? Not at all. It was hated. It was opposed. Uh, Open-air evangelism has always been opposed in every culture and every context, and the reason for that is found in John chapter 3. When the open-air preacher stands up and proclaims the gospel, he is proclaiming light into the darkness. And the darkness hates the light and won't come to the light lest their deeds be exposed. So when you walk into a public arena and you stand up and you lift high the name of the Lord Jesus, when you proclaim his grace, his forgiveness, when you proclaim the holy standards of God, you are flooding that public arena with the light. And of course, the darkness is going to object. Of course, people are going to say, I don't like this. I don't want to hear this. Mm -hmm. But they'd say that if they came to the church also. So those who'd say, you know, it doesn't work in the 21st century, I'd argue that no form of evangelism actually works in any century, in any culture, if the Spirit of God is not working in it. So it's the Father that draws men and women to Christ, not us, not our methods, not our style, and we must be careful not to be pragmatists. Mm. It's so easy to become pragmatic and say, well, this may work, that may not work. Look, if you're not called to be an open-air preacher, don't do it. I think if someone's not called for open-air work, don't preach in the open-air because you may cause more problems than good. And I've seen some very bad open-air preaching. Maybe you witness another way. Maybe that's your gifting. Maybe that's your ability. Do something for the glory of God and then rejoice in the fact that God is using other methods and other means as well. So should open-air evangelism happen today? Absolutely. Should other methods of evangelism happen today? Absolutely. Let's do something to make much of Jesus. Yeah, I've wondered too, as a byproduct of this you know, COVID situation, if uh, it isn't an opportunity as well for the church to rediscover uh, field preaching. I know uh, several people I've seen doing that, so maybe that's a that's a uh, byproduct of this. That's actually for good. Well, a lot of chapels being closed, and people have to go out and, and proclaim the gospel in public arenas and have church in the public arena. Perhaps we'll see a. Uh, a revival of open-air evangelism. Mm. I know of several churches that have been banned from meeting in their chapels, but they can meet in their local park, and non-believers who are walking past have been stopping and listening. So mm. let, let's take Christ outside of the four walls of our chapel and let's go erect the cross in the public area. Mm. Amen. Uh, I think I think a lot of people have the picture in their minds, uh, probably rightly, that uh, oftentimes uh, open-air preaching is done by an individual or a lone wolf. Uh, what role should the local church have in street evangelism? 
uh, or open air preaching? Yeah, the, the danger is that there are many lone wolves and, and open air evangelism seems to attract them. Uh, I've seen that so many times that a Christian who loves the Lord Jesus is walking past, they see the open air meeting and they come and say, hey, I want to join, I want to do this. And you say, wonderful, it's great to have that fellowship in the gospel. But then you say, so what church do you go to? Well, I don't go to church, they're all wrong. Mm. That's when I get really nervous at that point mm. because the Christian life is not a life in isolation. We're, we're designed by God for fellowship. We're designed by God for community. God has called all of us, not just into individual salvation, but to join the body of Christ, to join the universal body and also the local expression of the body, the church. So we have so many examples in the scripture of the church being spoken to. We have elders, we have deacons, we we have the ministry roles given. If we were not supposed to be a part of the church, then what's the point of those passages? Yet so many in open-air evangelism, and I can kind of understand sometimes if you get someone who's passionate about evangelism going to a church that isn't, that they can sometimes feel like they're being slighted, that they're being put out, and they want to do something, but they're being stopped. I understand that, but that doesn't excuse them from abstaining from the fellowship of the local body. If we look at the book of Acts and we see how missionaries or how gospel preachers worked, we always see that they were connected to the local church. They were sent out by the local church for the work of the ministry. If you are going to be proclaiming Christ in public, then you want your church's backing. The parachurch must work with the local congregation. But even then, for someone to go serve in a parachurch organization, they should be sent out by the local church. So anyone involved in evangelism should be in submission to their elders. They should be accountable to their church. If they are not, then I don't think they have any business to be out calling people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ publicly when they themselves are not being obedient to the biblical commands to gather and fellowship. Moreover, purely from a um, practical aspect, you're preaching in public, someone gets converted, what do you do with them? Where do you send them? Hmm. Well, I'll go to that church down the road there. Is that where you go? No, I don't go to church. Well, why would I? You've got to be connected to the local body. You must. And Lone Ranger Christianity, Lone Ranger evangelism must die. It's wrong. It's unbiblical. It's sinful. We need to be in the fellowship and the role of the open-air preacher, the role of an evangelist in general, is to help strengthen and encourage the local church. It's not just proclaiming the gospel, it's working with the saints for the work of the ministry. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and, and I, I just, just to go back to where you were talking about, not everybody's called to be the preacher. Um, is, do you have people in your church that come alongside of you and maybe do other things that kind of support you while you're preaching? Could you talk about that? Yeah, so we're a very small church, so we're very limited on workers. But those who do come out, there are some who have tried open air or have an interest in open air, but it's definitely not their calling. It's not what they're passionate about doing. They're more content talking one-to-one. They're more content handing out tracts. Uh, back home in Australia, there was a man I know, a very dear brother. I've known him for since I started in evangelism. As an open-air preacher, he's absolutely rubbish. And I said that to his face. So if he's listening to this podcast, he's not getting a revelation knowing what I think about his preaching. He's rubbish at it. But he's second to none when it comes to -to one-to-one witnessing. Well, we used to joke that the open-air preacher was like the the artillery just blasting up the field. But then he comes along as a sniper and he picks off people one-to-one. 
Mm. And he would get the conversations with those who would not talk to anyone else. He would get the conversations with those who are hostile. And he would have them listening to the gospel and the Lord would bless his work time and time again. Mm. So not everyone's called to proclaim the gospel in the open air, stand up and preach. Uh, not all are even called to engage in street evangelism. What we are all, in, all called to engage in is witnessing. We are all called to be witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ, which should happen not just on the streets or at scheduled outreaches, but in our day-to-day -day lives, we should be constantly looking to be witnesses. And that's something we're all called to do. But the Lord also calls and gifts certain people to go into the open air, to witness one-to-one, -to, -one, to hand out gospel tracts, and to preach. So we need to make sure that we're operating according to the gifts that God has given us. Mm. Not all of us can be a mouth. Not all of us can be a hand. Not all of us can be a foot. We're all designed for different roles within the body of Christ to serve for the glory of our King. Mm. Amen. Um, could you describe how you conduct street evangelism and, and specifically your open-air preaching? It's hard to answer that question because it changes constantly. You've got to assess and adapt to what you're doing. Uh, Open-air evangelism is something that can change rapidly, instantly. Uh, there could be a situation where you have everything planned out. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And then it rains. So it washes out the outreach. Uh, you might say, well, I'm going to go out today. I'm going to do this style of preaching. And the wind is blowing terribly strong and you can't do anything. Then there's other times that you plan what you're going to do. You plan you're going to stand up and you're going to preach on this passage and you're going to explain this passage. And if in 30 seconds you've got a heckler, again, that changes the dynamic. So there's no one hard and fast rule to evangelism. Now, some of the things we do do, which I'm a big supporter of doing and I think should be done uh, more widely, is at our open-air meetings, we often set up a table that has free literature on it. And we'll have a couple of signs printed out saying free Bible and literature. And on that table, we'll have, obviously, the Bible. If you're going to say free Bibles, you need to have Bibles. So we have Bibles there. We have different literature on different apologetic issues, gospel issues. And that table is often a standalone outreach as people come and they browse and they take things. It also can provide a tool to create one-to-one -to -one conversations with those who are taking material. Now, that's not open-air preaching, but that is effective street evangelism because you're walking into a public place and you're setting up a stand saying, here is the word of God take up and read. And I've found that I've had many wonderful conversations over the table. You know, someone comes to the table and says, well, why is there death and suffering? What, what about evolution? Is there really a God? And you can say, well, actually, I have a little booklet on that. Mm. And you can use that as a means to witness to them. Moreover, the booklets often do a better job evangelizing than we do. R.A. Torrey said a tract does not get distracted with rabbit trails. It sticks to its message and it stays to its message. It's so easy for us in evangelism to get distracted if you go down the rabbit trails and end up talking about something we hadn't planned on talking. The track doesn't do that. So these people come and they speak. And even if I get distracted, even if I make mistakes, that booklet goes home with them. And then they sit and they read that booklet and that booklet stays on topic. So I think that's an effective form of street evangelism. We also ensure that we have gospel tracks that we can hand out. Now, the tracks that we use here in Newquay all have the contact details of Newquay Baptist Church on it. We make sure that our service times and contact details are on our literature because we want to feed people back into the local church. If I'm witnessing outside of Newquay, if I've been asked to go help another church in evangelism, I'll hand out their material because I want to feed people into their local church. If I've been asked to just go help in an outreach where there is no local church, I'll make sure at a minimum the tracks I hand out have my contact details on it. 
so that if someone contacts me via email or via telephone, I can then try and follow them up online and refer them to a good local fellowship. So we need to make sure we have gospel tracts with contact details. As for open-air preaching, how does it happen? It varies on personality. It varies on style. There's the old school style of stand up Bible in hand on a soapbox saying, thus saith the Lord and preach that way. And I had a dear friend who's now with the Lord, who that's how he would always start his sermons off. He'd stand up in the open air in Brisbane City and he'd stand up and say, ladies and gentlemen, people of Brisbane, hear the word of the Lord. Mm. And then he would preach. And it was effective. I, I've preached that way as well. Here's my Bible. I'm going to read a passage of scripture. I'm going to exposit that passage of scripture. I'm going to apply that passage of scripture. I'm going to talk about the big themes of sin. I'm going to talk about Christ and his death. I'm going to talk about his resurrection. I'm going to talk about repentance and faith. And I'm going to call on the people who are listening to come and trust in the Savior that very moment. So that's that's a style of preaching. Uh, Another style that I use myself is what we call sketchboard evangelism. And this involves painting and sharing the gospel. I often joke that at school, the two subjects I didn't do well at was art and religion, which is a problem when I have to use a sketchboard and paint and proclaim the gospel. But what this sketchboard method of evangelism does is you have a big bit of paper on a board and you have all these different boxes. And as you begin to paint, words start to appear in those boxes. So for instance, I have one that I do quite often in the open air called the way to heaven. And as I'm painting, the question comes up, what is the way to heaven? And on one side of the board, I have three boxes, uh, three words that are made up of separate boxes. And those are the three wrong ways that people think will get them to heaven. And as I paint, those different wrong ways start to appear on the board. And then on the other side, I have the right way, trust Jesus. And people seem to be drawn in by the painting. You're painting and Mm. proclaiming the gospel. Now, it's not entertainment. We're not trying to trick people with a bait and switch. We're very open from the beginning. We're talking about the way to heaven. They know it's a religious meeting. They know the gospel's being proclaimed. And all through our answering and dealing with the objections that people have or the misunderstanding that people have about the way to heaven, we're preaching the gospel to them. And that will often draw people in because people are intrigued by the painting. Uh, That method was developed by the Open Air Campaigners or OAC Ministries, as it is now known, which is originally from Australia. And it's been used by the Lord mightily to bring many into the kingdom. We also have other guys that use another form of board, which is a big magnetic board, and they have different scripture verses they put up on the magnets on the board, and they'll just explain the verse as they go along. So people have a visual and a verbal presentation of the gospel. Mm. So there's different ways you could do it. There's no one set way. And I think we need to be careful that we don't get dogmatic on how we do open-air evangelism or how we preach. Uh, We're... When we go out to the open air, we're communicating to people who have no understanding of the gospel. We must start with that assumption. We cannot speak in Christianese. Oh, brother, have you been washed in the blood today? Have you been born again by the Spirit of God? Have you experienced justification that is by faith alone? We're going to explain those concepts, but we have to do it in a way that they understand. So we must speak simply. We must speak clearly. If we're going to illustrate, that helps dramatically because it gives them access visually to what we're explaining as well. So you can have the ear gate and the eye gate open to the gospel. That There's no one set way. There's different horses for different courses. Some people are brilliant at painting. Other people are rubbish at painting. Some can speak in such a way that they're engaging and the people are arrested and listening. Others, well, they need to put their Bible verse up on a board and explain it. 
There's different ways, but the end is always the same. We're calling men and women to come and trust in the King, to trust in the Lord Jesus. And we've got to keep doing that. Mm. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, what are some uh, what are some challenges that you find when you conduct open air preaching uh, today? The lack of biblical knowledge. That's probably one of the big ones. Uh, I, I've had the opportunity of proclaiming the gospel in the open air in Australia, New Zealand, uh, Papua New Guinea. Uh, Papua New Guinea is very rich on biblical knowledge, and people seem very open. Australia is very indifferent and very limited biblical knowledge. New Zealand, similar to Australia. The UK is apathetic and limited. Uh, I've done open-air evangelism in the US as well, and I was blown away with the level of biblical knowledge that Americans have. Mm. And I know when I was in Kentucky a couple of years ago, we attended a church service, and the pastor was talking about how dark it is in these days and how the church is in decline. And my wife and I looked at each other and said, if we had this in Australia, we'd be saying revival. We'd be saying, you know, God is moving mightily here. There's awareness of God. There's a biblical understanding. Now, that's not saying they're all Christians, but you have foundations that you can work with. I remember an open-air meeting in California, in Riverside, California, that super left-leaning state that everyone says is a godless state, yet the people we were speaking to there had more biblical knowledge than what I see in the UK or Australia. So the challenge we face, especially in our Western context, where I am anyway, is that there's a lack of biblical knowledge. I found the challenge I faced when I was preaching in the US, especially in the Bible Belt areas, was making sure people got lost. They all thought they were saved a thousand times over. We had to actually get them to the point where they realized mm. they weren't converted. Uh, in Papua New Guinea, the big challenge was explaining repentance because everyone said, oh, yes, I said a prayer because the missionary told me to say a prayer. Yet they've got a massive crime rate. And you have to explain what true biblical repentance is and true conversion is. So each place is going to have its own challenges. In the UK, it's a lack of biblical awareness. It's a lack of biblical knowledge. And that makes it hard because we've got to start from the beginning and explain all our concepts. It's, it's almost like we're in a, a pre-Christian culture again. Uh, everyone likes to say, well, we're post-Christian. Well, I'm a bit more optimistic than that. So I'll say we're pre-Christian. And I'm looking forward to the day that the world is turned upside down again by the power of the gospel. So we have to have that mindset that we're ministering to people that have very limited understanding, have a very simple understanding of the gospel, if any. I have spoken to people who have been in their 50s and 60s who have grown up in countries such as England who have never heard the gospel before. And if they come from a time when the Bible is more readily accepted and they haven't heard the gospel, what hope does it have for the teenager or the 20 and 30-year-old today? There's a lack of knowledge, and that's one of the massive challenges. That being said, another challenge is that the people are programmed against the Christian gospel. And when I say programmed against the Christian gospel, I'm not getting into some conspiracy theory where I'm going to put a, you know, a tinfoil hat on or anything like that. But just turn on the media, and you see that our entertainment industry constantly bombards us with an image of Christianity being stupid of Christians not knowing what they're talking about, of being wild fanatics that are anti-science, anti-everything, which isn't true. You can't do real science without the Bible, but that's for another topic. But we have that image that the society gets. And then these kids go off to school, and in school they are bombarded with LGBT issues, they are bombarded with evolution, they are bombarded with atheism, they are bombarded with secular humanism. It's almost like the state and our culture is taking people who are already dead in sin 
and trying to make them more and more corrupt, to make them more dead, if it was possible to say it that way. So when you encounter people on the street, they don't understand Christianity. They don't understand anything about the Bible or the gospel, but they think they do. And you have to get them lost as well here. You have to explain mm. the, the key foundation truths. You have to explain the gospel because people don't know. And that's probably one of the hardest challenges today. We have to undo what has been programmed into the hearts and the minds of our culture. We are dealing with a secular religion. Now, people say, well, secularism is not a religion. Oh, it's a religion. Every person you meet, including the atheist, is religious. The question is, which God mm -hmm. do they serve? Mm -hmm. The secular religion, the atheist religion is they worship the God of self. Everyone is religious. So we have to address the truth. Their religion poisons them and programs them against Christianity. So we've got to come along and explain the truth in a simple and clear manner, telling them who Jesus is. Now, we do that knowing that unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. So our secret weapon is that despite all their programming, despite all their opposition that they may have, our secret weapon is the Holy Spirit, who takes the word of God as it is proclaimed, who promises in the word of God that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, who, who promises that God's word will not return void. We have the Holy Spirit who is faithful and true to what God's word says, and he takes the scripture and he uses it. And even the most hard-hearted atheist who has never heard the gospel before can come to the understanding of who Christ is when the spirit of God moves upon their heart. So there's our secret weapon in the midst of the hardness. Don't be discouraged by what we're seeing in our culture. It's hard. It's terrible. Absolutely. But our God breaks the hard ground. Our God brings the objections of man to nothing. And Jesus Christ is championed. I know before I was saved, I had many objections, but when I came face to face with the gospel, even though I'd heard it thousands of times before, when I, that night when God set his affection upon me and saved me, my objections came to nothing. Why? Because the father was drawing me to the son. And as a sheep whom God had elected unto salvation, I heard his voice and I responded. So even those in our culture who are hard hearted at this moment, if they are a sheep of God, then God will use the word proclaimed to push aside all their objections and bring them to the Savior. Amen. I just want to have you uh, lean into that a little bit, maybe to take this as an opportunity to uh, give a rallying cry to those who know they should be doing this, but are fearful. Maybe uh, they were fearful before, uh, but the farther we move to the left, it seems like all of Western civilization uh, I wonder if you could just lean into that and encourage those who are fearful uh, why, to, to evangelize, to, to uh, go out in the open air. Yeah, well, I haven't got a golden bullet to overcome fear. If anyone listening knows of a way to overcome fear perfectly, let me know, because I've been doing this for years and I still get terrified. That being said, I have to let my fear of God, my reverence for God, overcome my fear of man. I have to let the fear of man be pushed down by my love for the Lord Jesus and my desire to see his glory spread. Now, when I go out to evangelize, I'm afraid, but I go out in the knowledge that I'm not alone, that mm. the Lord Jesus has promised that he will be with us, that the Holy Spirit is with the believer. Now, something a drum I like to beat every now and then is that 
sadly, in our Reformed churches, we often forget the Holy Spirit. Now, we, we like to say, well, the Pentecostals, well, they've got the Holy Spirit. We're not going to focus on that. But the Spirit is with us too. The Holy Spirit is with us. He enables us to be witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. He empowers us to make much of Jesus. So we need to go out in the power of the Spirit, knowing that He will work through us, mm. that the Spirit will move and He will convict of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Our fear can only be pulled down when we submit ourselves completely to God and say, God, despite my fears, despite my many failings and concerns that I have right now, I love you and I want to be obedient to you. Please, by your spirit, empower me for witness. If you want a good antidote to to help push down your fear, spend time reading the book of Acts. How many times do we see in the book of Acts, they went out in the power of the spirit and they evangelized. When the apostles were facing opposition, we are told that they have prayed and then they said, Lord, look upon their threatenings and grant us the ability to preach. And the scripture says they were then filled with the spirit and they proclaimed the gospel with boldness. We have the same God. We have the same Holy Spirit. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. But you must let your love for God swallow the fear that you have for man. We must move in the power of the Spirit. And as we study the Scripture, something that can help us with our fear is that we see the assurance of gospel victory. We see the promise that the gospel will be successful. Uh, In Daniel, we see this wonderful picture of all the empires of the world setting themselves against Christ. But then this little stone appears, knocks down all the empires, and that stone then grows to be a mountain and fills the whole earth. That gives me hope. That gives me confidence that when I go out and stand and proclaim Christ, that his kingdom is advancing. When I come to the book of Revelation and I see the picture of the future, I see this wonderful picture that in heaven, that there are people from every tribe and nation and language gathered around the throne, worshiping Christ for his salvation. Now that's history written in advance. Think about it. When John wrote the book of Revelation, the gospel had not spread out of the Middle East. Yet here we have history written in advance where God promises that people from every tribe and nation and language, tongue, everything like that will be worshipping him. God has promised that. So when we go out to proclaim the gospel, we go out with the confidence that God is going to work, that he will achieve his ends and his purposes. Now, that being said, we may never see the fruit and we're not called to necessarily see the fruit. We're called to be faithful. We're called to proclaim Christ. Eternity will testify to what God has used our ministry for. We might get to heaven and be blown away with the amount of people that God has saved through the means of our evangelism. But we must be faithful. We must proclaim Christ going out in the power of the Spirit with the confidence that the gospel will not fail. Yes, these are dark days. Yes, these are troubling times. But we have the light, and the light puts the darkness to flight, and the light will not be overcome by the darkness. So let's faithfully proclaim Jesus and leave the results to him. Mm. Yes, you'll be afraid, but your God is bigger than your fears. Our God is great, and he promises to be with us through it all. And Jesus says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. So crack on. Get on to the job. Job. Go, make disciples of all the nations. Mm. Amen. 
Um, I wonder if you could just briefly talk about any uh, notable um, difficulties you've had with uh, hecklers or law enforcement or something to that, that nature. I love hecklers. I must admit, I, I love hecklers. Uh, I remember hearing Ray Comfort once saying he prays for hecklers. And I thought, why would you do that? Then I got a heckler and I went, oh, I'm praying for them too. A heckler is wonderful. A heckler is brilliant. He can take your crowd of 20 people and make it into 300 in seconds. Mm. Uh, they're brilliant because everyone loves a good open-air discussion. Now, a good heckler will make his objection, let you answer, then he'll make another one, and the crowd will just keep building. A bad heckler just keeps speaking and never shuts up. You don't want that sort of heckler. What you want is a heckler who has good questions, and it might be apologetics, which means you have to know some apologetic arguments, but he'll ask a question and then you need to argue, you need to make a defense for the faith, just like Paul did in Acts 17 when he disputed with people publicly. But when you dispute and when you argue with a heckler, you do so with an eye on the cross. I've seen a brother who was a brilliant open-air preacher preach for an hour in the open air to a massive crowd. The crowd was listening the whole time, but I was so grieved at that open air because he spent an hour on apologetics and never wanted to proclaim the gospel. Mm. That was heartbreaking. So if you're going to deal with a heckler, argue everything with an eye on the cross and pray for good hecklers. Uh, probably my favorite heckler uh, is a man called Garfield. And he's got a great name. That's why you, I never forget him. But Garfield was one of those men who look eccentric. I met him back in 2009 in Manchester in England. We were preaching and he walked into the middle of the crowd. And Garfield had ginger hair, long ginger beard, long ginger hair. He was wearing a leather vest that went right down to his feet and he had a giant cane with a gold ball on top. And he walked into the middle of the open air and he says, I have a question. And I thought, oh no, here we go. He goes, I have questions that Christians have never been able to answer and I bet you can't answer them either. Well, now the stage is set. The crowd's going, okay, we want to hear the question. I'm praying, oh, Lord, give me wisdom. I had to answer. I said, all right, Garfield, have a go. What's your questions, mate? I'll try my best to answer them. And I remember the arrogance on his face. He turned to the crowd. He was like he was putting on a show. He turned to the crowd and said, firstly, why did Jesus die? And upon what did he die? I'm thinking there's got to be more than that. This is a perfect gospel opening. So I said, why did Jesus die? Garfield, I can answer that one. And I spoke about sin. Upon what did Jesus die? He died upon the cross. He took the punishment for his people. And this is where Garfield tried to spring his trap. And this is why theology is also important. Garfield said, ah, I've got you now. I said, how so? He goes, if Jesus died on the cross for every single person in the world, forgiving all their sins, then why are you out here? We're all going to heaven. And I said, Garfield, I never said that. He looked at me blankly and said, I never said Jesus died for every single person. I never said Jesus died to forgive every single person in the world. And Garfield looked a bit confused and I said, I'm one of those horrible people called a Calvinist. I believe Christ died for his sheep. He died for his church. And all those for whom Christ died will be saved. Mm. But God has also ordained the means by which they come to salvation, which is through me preaching the gospel to them. And Garfield didn't know how to respond to that because we now had theology and the gospel in the open air and the crowd was just silent, so we preached the gospel again. A good heckler draws the attention of the crowd in and he often provides gospel opportunities. A bad heckler, you're praying that the Lord will deliver you from evil. 
because they will just keep mm. ranting and raving and carrying on. But even they can be used by the Lord to grow a crowd. So the other day I had one in Newquay, a drunk man. He got too close. Social distancing wasn't his thing. He got right in my face and he's yelling at me at the top of my, his lungs saying, stop yelling at people. No one wants to be yelled at. And I said, sir, you're, you're yelling at me. And he kept getting in my face. So I took a big step to the left and he moved across the left and put his face in my face again. I said, sir, have you heard of social distancing? You need to step back two meters. And he says, I don't care about social distancing. I was more concerned by the smell of his breath than actually the coronavirus, but that's you know, neither here nor there. But the crowd just started to gather and gather and gather. I thought, oh, I've got a bad heckler, but I have a crowd. How do I get this heckler away so I can preach the gospel? Now, the Lord was using a bad heckler to draw a crowd in. I was just struggling to get rid of him. So I turned to him and I said, sir, you like to follow me, don't you? You like to do everything you're told. You're a really obedient man. He said, no, I'm not. And I said, yes, you are. I'm going to take a big step to the left, and I guarantee you, you're going to follow me. I took a step to the left, and he goes, ha, I'm not following you. And he took a step the other way and walked off. And so now he was gone, and I had this crowd to proclaim the gospel. But the crowd had a good, a bit of a laugh, a bit of a joke. They saw what was going on. And we're able to use humor then to tie the gospel into the crowd and proclaim Christ to them. So even bad hecklers can be used for the glory of God. So don't be afraid of hecklers. Love hecklers. Pray for hecklers. I have friends in Australia who heckled me every single Saturday night. They're still atheists. Some of them are homosexuals. But we became good friends through the heckling. And uh, those guys, I love them. I, I, think they, I think they love me. They disagree with me. But a good heckler can be used for the glory of God. And sometimes the heckler is the best evangelist on your team. He'll draw a crowd in and allow the gospel to be proclaimed. So pray for hecklers and use them for the glory of God. As for the law, we definitely live in a time and a day and age where it can become more dangerous to be an open air preacher. Now, in the UK, there's been multiple reports of people being arrested for preaching the gospel in public. Some of them have brought it about by their own stupidity. Others have been wrongfully arrested. Now, we're blessed in this country to have a couple of Christian legal services, such as Christian Concern and the Christian Institute, which represents open-air evangelists that can help them in legal challenges. But something we see time and time again is you often get the police officer on the beat who overreacts, who acts badly, but then it gets to court and it gets thrown out. So it does happen. It's not something we should thrive on. It's not something we should look for. I've met open-air preachers who have a toothbrush and toothpaste in their bag looking for the arrest. I've dealt with the police. I've had encounters with the police. I never want to encounter them again if I can avoid it because they do hinder the gospel. I'd rather have my freedom to proclaim Christ than to be put in a cell for several hours where I can't proclaim Jesus. Let's say someone is coming away from this interview and they, they are really fired up about this. Um, how, how would you advise someone to get started in open-air preaching? What are some maybe some basic steps of what, how they can start? Yeah, some good reasons sources that would really help uh, develop not just open-air evangelism, but evangelism in general, be it in workplace or on the streets or at school or university, wherever. Visit livingwaters.com, livingwaters.com. That's Ray Comfort's ministry. And listen to Hell's Best Kept Secret. That blew me away when it came to gospel ministry. I was just undone. It, it gave me the tools that I needed. Hell's Best Kept Secret, then follow up with his second sermon called True and False Conversion. That is a vital teaching for today's culture and context. They also have a TV show, a DVD curriculum 
uh, called The Way of the Master. That's now all available on YouTube for free. It's different half-hour episodes covering everything from how to witness, why we should witness, dealing with apologetics, the gospel, open-air preaching, everything. They are probably the best starting points for evangelism. Now, there's plenty of good books out there. There's many wonderful uh, resources out there, but that'd be my starting point. Go visit livingwaters.com. Check out Ray Comfort's material, Hell's Best Kept Secret, True and False Conversion, The Way of the Master. Now, obviously, they give you a method. They give you a style. It's, it's like a skeleton, but you need to adapt it to your own style, your own personality. Uh, make it your own. Don't just have a canned speech. Make it your own and use the tools they give you to develop a strong gospel witness. Uh, if I can be of encouragement, I'd encourage people to contact me through my website, through joshwilliamson.org. Uh, if you get in touch via the website, send me an email or on social media. I'll try and reply to you. Uh, happy to help where I can. But I'll also stress this. While it's good to have all the resources and the training in evangelism, make sure you're in submission to your local church. Speak to your elders. Speak to your pastor. Explain to him your passion for evangelism. And he'll probably have great resources also to help you. Talk to them. If you're a pastor who wants to get passionate about evangelism, then definitely contact me. I'd love to have fellowship with you online at a minimum. Um, but I'd love to be able to help you any way I can in referring you to resources to better equip you for the work of the ministry. So Ray Comfort's ministry, talk to your pastors, and then go proclaim Christ. Hmm. Well, this has been uh, really great, Josh. Thank you for spending the time with us uh, talking about these things. I, I think it's extremely encouraging. Um, and I, I think especially when you talked about the victory in the gospel that, that we're assured to have, we have such an amazing God who is at work. Sometimes you can't see if you're on the battlefield. I've heard this analogy. You're on the battlefield. You can't see what's going on in the war. Mm. And maybe your, maybe your post is under heavy gun. Uh, maybe it seems like things aren't going your way, but if you could see what's going on in the grander scheme of things, how much more encouraged would you be to take up your, your weapon and charge forward? Uh, and I, th I think I, I agree with you very much that I think uh, we, we, we ought to lean on the, the uh, grace of God and the power of God and the Holy spirit in this time not be discouraged because of what we face in our culture. Uh, but just to remember, uh, God's made promises that he will build his church and uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So thank you for encouraging us in these things. Really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the weekly discourse. If you have been blessed by this week's discourse, please consider subscribing to the Man of God Network so that you can continue to be blessed with resources like these. If you'd like to learn more about Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, visit us at cbtseminary.org.